She got kicked out of Charlie's Angels for trying to unionize Franny Choi. <laughs> and their queer eye for the slant rhyme, Danette Smith. <laughs> and you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. Presented to you by the Poetry Foundation and Post Loudness. Oh, uh, we got two parents, y'all. We fancy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Two parents. parents. Yeah, no, they're parents. parents. Gender neutral. I was going to say they're queer somehow. Poetry's kind of queer. Podcasts kind of queer. It's so. gay. It's it a gay, gay situation. Hi, Dines. Hi, Franny. How you doing? I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm just so happy to talk to our good friend and a perpetually brilliant human being, Safia El-Hilo. One of the things that we started talking about was this idea of ancestry, and especially mm-hmm. like poetic ancestry, like literary lineage, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Dines. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, who is an ancestor, a poetic ancestor? Okay. That you didn't know you had and then had to find out that you had. Oh. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you look at a poem and you're like, oh, dad? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I do. I do. So I think I'm going to say two folks. One is Whitman. Like I had some people like say like, oh, what you're doing is like sort of uh, Whitmanian, Whitman-esque. And I was very adverse to that, I think, just because of every, like how my own feelings about like sort of the the whiteness of the canon. no white man made me. Yeah, you know, and then I actually read Whitman. I was like, I kind of see that. For sure. Uh, (laughs) And that was important. I think I had to, I had to find ancestors that felt closer to me Mm. before I could see myself in Whitman. No, and I so think it felt real. like by, by going to Whitman too early, I felt like I was bypassing a lot of folks who really helped me even fall in love with poetry. And Whitman wasn't one of those poets. But mm. in, once I was in love with poetry, then I was able to love a lot about Whitman and For able to sure. see myself in him. What um, is it that you see in Whitman that is you? His deep exploration of the self and the sort of like, I mean, it's the thing, you know, I'm large, I contain multitudes, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. is like, you know, sort of a thesis of a lot of his work. Mm-hmm. Holding and exploration of the self and how that also has an outward gaze. Yeah. Um, I think sort of his celebration sometimes even like his lines and the way he like thinks about nature and infusing that into his poetry I think is a lot a lot of what mm-hmm. I do a lot yeah. of the times and what I see is like queer American extravagance yeah in him and 100% in you that mm-hmm. like bigness you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and I think that bigness is an internal bigness right mm-hmm. um, you know it's a bigness that is explored um, through even recognizing how small the self is but how sure. how, how large that smallness can even be yes um, and another person I would say I think what was interesting uh, well I'll let Safia say it when she says it but like looking for your ancestors in your contemporaries mm. too and I think somebody I'm always looking to is um, Hanif Abderaki you know I hear a lot of my own concerns in his work and I think mm-hmm. sometimes I look uh, like you know it's more of a horizontal look mm-hmm. across to see like what is Hanif doing because sometimes I, I need to go to Hanif to figure out like what do I care about <laughs> it's so just like real. oh like I listen to Hanif and he unlocks so much of my own yeah. work really. yeah how about you um who your granddaddy is <laughs> who your grandmama um well you know someone that I found mm-hmm. uh came to was Kim Hesun, which who is a I don't I might I don't remember if I've talked about Kim Hesun on the show, but um, first of all, she's insane in the best way, and um, she's a she's a contemporary, um, but like very well established Korean poet, not Korean American, mm-hmm. and her language is so strange and so surreal and deeply sexy and mm. bizarre in this way that I I knew something of like my debt to Asian American poets and Korean American poets but I didn't realize what debt I had to Korean poets you know until I Divorce encountered them yeah. in mm-hmm. translation mm-hmm. and it was wild the first time I read mm-hmm. um 
her book, uh, Sorrow Toothpaste Mirror Cream. First of all, that's the name of the book. Two words. First word, sorrow sour. toothpaste. Sorrow toothpaste? Sorrow toothpaste. Not sour toothpaste. Mm-mm. Sorrow toothpaste. Second word, mirror cream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid and weird and I love it. Um, but in, in translation, uh, translated by the poet Don Mi Choi, it was wild to read this person that I felt I had never read before and was newly in translation in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like not a lot of American poets had read her. And then to be like, this is my mother. <laughs> like, this, is, <laughs> this is who I came from, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think what something I learned later was that a lot of her generation of Korean women poets, like feminist poets, were really influenced by Korean translations of Sylvia Plath. Oh, So Plath had been translated from English into Korean. Mm-hmm. And then so they all read her and then were like on her their Plath shit. And so like it's like a double lineage for me, like from Plath. Mm-hmm. Plath by way of these Korean yeah, Korean yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which I think was bananas when I when I realized that. <laughs> That's so great. It's great, right? It is great. What is also great is that we get to have a conversation with one of my favorite ancestors, Safia Hello. Yes. Uh, right now. Um, favorite lateral ancestor. Yeah, you know, you know, she's even a little younger than me and I look up to her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. But most definitely. Um she is the author of a phenomenal collection called The Janet children we're yes. a poet teacher editor let's not wait any longer let's get into it with Safia hello. hello hi Safia hey friends <laughs> how you doing good how are you oh good you look so good per usual thank you as to both of you thank you this thank is our you. this is my non-day this, outfit like, leather jogger situation I just feel like if you have everything if everything is black then you look like you're put together even if you're you pulled random pieces out of mm-hmm. your closet. Yeah, the goss figured something out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It really did. When was your first AWP? How many times have you been coming to this jam? Um, not so long. So uh Twin Cities was my first okay. AWP. Okay. So okay. that was Three, four Word. years ago, something like that. Yeah, Word. Yeah. Why do you keep coming back to the gym? Because I know some people feel really antagonistic towards AWP. Yeah. Um, and I see like a lot of people getting super stressed. How do you experience these sort of conference dealies? What do you do from them? What do you get from them? Especially like you're, I think you identify as like an introvert, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so my first AWP was so stressful <laughs> yeah. and I almost didn't come back. But also I think if I had reached out and asked anyone about it, someone would have told me like, sleep eight hours and bring water and a snack before you walk into the book fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I feel like I spent my first AWP just like hyperventilating in a corner of the book fair for four days and then I went home early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure, uh, for sure. This is also sage advice for anyone who is considering coming to this conference. Yes, hydrate and bring snacks <laughs> <laughs> and eat protein. Protein, yeah, for sure. You know, we all met like doing traveling poetry stuff and right. I feel like these conferences are the only way that I get to see a lot of my friends like in the same space at the same time. Totally. Mm-hmm. So honestly, that's the main draw of it. I go to maybe like two on-site events per AWP. Great. Mm-hmm. That's such a good number. <laughs> <laughs> two. And then my book came out last year and it's a partnership with the University of Nebraska Press mm-hmm. and the African Poetry Book Fund. Mm-hmm. And the book fund are like my fairy god family. So they like, <laughs> I get to usually like have dinner with them at AWP and mm-hmm. like hang out at the booth and like sign some books and stuff. So it's, again, it's usually just a way to see people that I already like. <laughs> I think some people think of AWP as like an opportunity for networking or something like that. I don't really know how to do that because I don't know how to talk to strangers. Um, honestly, I'm just here to hang out Word. and like sure. be in Florida. Speaking of the book, so January Children came out around this time last year, wasn't yeah. it? So it's now like yeah. a year old. How are, you, how are you feeling about the book and those poems? What is that? been like now that you're like all published and all day you know what I'm saying (laughs) I mean the year after it came out was such like a weird postpartum 
purgatory space where I'm like, <laughs> I felt like in some way or another, this was like the book that I'd been writing, like the whole time that I'd been writing poetry. For sure. Um, and everything that I'd written before had been like an attempt to get to some of the stuff that ended up being in the book. Mm. And and I finished it, which is not a thing that I ever like planned for. Well, that's dangerous because right, right. then it kind of can feel like you finished poetry. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> well, for a second it did. I was like, all right, cool. I got to the top of the mountain. Now what? Mm. So I just did not write poems for like a few months after mm. that because I didn't. It also felt like there was a lot of pressure because so much of the work of mine that I'd been engaging with for like the past year was just revising drafts of poems that had already been written. Mm. So I felt like I didn't know how to engage with first drafts of mine anymore. Mm. And I was worried that they would be bad. Mm. Um, I don't even know where this pressure even came from, but I felt like everything I wrote had to be to prove to myself that I still knew how to write a poem. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I was not sure that I would be able to prove that. Mm -hmm. But what I did end up doing, which felt good was I I started playing with form a lot last year in a way that I hadn't done before. Mm. And then that was so liberating for me because it was a space to play. And it was also like, if I write this sonnet and it sucks, it's because I don't know how to write a sonnet. Not because <laughs> right, I don't know right, how to write right, 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 for sure. <laughs> so for that sure. was super helpful. And it like, yeah. I think like got me through to this year where now I feel like, you know, I can't confirm whether or not I know how to write a poem, but I'm not scared of it anymore, <laughs> mm. which is good. Yeah. I feel like that's like a thing that I hear poets say all the time. Like, that fear that we'll have lost our ability to write a poem, like, every time you sit down to write a new one. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Because I feel like, do other artists in other media, like, feel that same sort of, like, oh, shit, what if that was the last thing yeah. that I did? Like, I don't really think so. I, hey? I think so. Yeah? I've heard that a lot, a lot related to publishing, like, publishing a book. For sure. Um, For sure. And that sort of exhaust. And I think to finish such a project, I think what it speaks to is the need to, like, be kind to ourselves, maybe, and rest. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think after you finish something that's as grand as a book, and the January Children is quite the book. Um, quite. And after you finish, right, and after you finish a feat like that, I think... There's our like sort of artist brain and our artist heart that are mm -hmm. arguing with each other, and the artist brain says create, 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 yeah. and sometimes the artist heart is sort of saying I need time to like refill and like even like know what I am Where after I this am. thing, right? Yeah. I felt that with um with both my books, like mm -hmm. after I've after both of them published and came out and stuff like that, I was just like oh, especially this last one, I was just like what if I never mm. like write a good book again? I took a break from writing for a little bit, an intentional one because. I was expecting too much of my poems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was looking at them and even on the first draft, I was like, you're, you're not good enough yet. You're never going to be anything. And so yeah. I was like, mommy dearest thing, my poems. And <laughs> <laughs> no more couplets. But then, you know, I think I took a little breath. You were writing some couplets for a long time. Oh, it's true that you were. Man, couplets and Garamond, man. Couplets <laughs> and Garamond. I've like, I've like been tricked as an editor by some Garamond mm -hmm. many a time. It's so mm -hmm. true. And I'm worried that if I start writing in Garamond, I won't be able to like look at my work honestly. So, you know, 12 mm. point times New Roman keeps me honest. So yes. I, I feel married to it in that way. It's just like bare bones. Yeah. This is me. <laughs> well, because then, you know, like, like a lazy verb in Garamond is still like, in Garamond. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But if your poem could be good in like Cosmic Sands, then like, it's a good poem. Can a poem be good in Comic Sands though? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I opened up a book at a bookstore the other day and it was no. like, girl. In Comic no. Sans? Girl. No. Girls. No. <laughs> 
was so intense. I was so offended. I was so offended. That makes me feel physically ill. <laughs> I felt like it was a joke. I was like looking around the bookstore. I was like, is this the gag? Did <laughs> what did I, what, what happens now? That would be such a bizarre episode of a prank show. Like bookstore where everything is in comic sans. Yeah. Ooh. It would just be like a very subtle. I think I've had that anxiety dream before. <laughs> I might, might try this. I think because I think I'm hiding behind Garamond. I'm definitely bit. hiding behind Garamond for. I didn't sure. mean to expose you. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what is a podcast if not a therapy session? Right, right, right. I can admit these hard truths. That <laughs> my new poems might not be as good as they are because I'm just very tab happy <laughs> and using Garamond. <laughs> well, so I used to tab for the sejuras a lot, but mm-hmm. because I don't have Microsoft Word. Uh, it deactivated the day after I finished college because I was using a student account. They didn't. Wow. Wow. Oh, they didn't waste no time. They didn't wait. It, I tried to open it the next day and it said <laughs> the they tried day. to charge me again. So I use Pages, mm-hmm. which is the word processor that comes with the MacBook. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I like it. It's like very minimalist. You can't mm-hmm. really do anything in it, but you know. But you can't like tab stuff? And all you that? can tab, but okay. the thing is afterwards when I'm trying to send it out places mm-hmm. because I have to convert it to Word, the tabs aren't always the same size ah. and because I need my lines to be more or less the same length all the time mm-hmm. when the sujures get messed up it's it, it's a hard time in my life so your lines are to, always the same length all the time yeah so now instead of tab which is how I like started with those spaces now I have to like count out little things on the space bar <gasps> wow it's been helpful because now it makes me think about how big the space actually should be. Whereas mm. when it was a tab, I was like, all right, the tabs are more or less the same size, not always. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's made that decision for me. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, all right, is this a six-space sejura or a four-space sejura or a 12-space sejura? <laughs> That's real. I don't like the tab because then things, like, line up on the, the same thing on mm-hmm. the page, and I don't like that. Yeah, and then it looks like it's trying to be a contrapuntal. And it's right. Not. It's, not, mm. it's not trying to be a contrapuntal. That's real. That's real. You play with the Sezira a lot in your work, um, and even with spacing. Like, I know there's, um, oh, what's that poem called? Um, but it's a sonnet. The one for Sharif? Yeah, the one for Sharif. Asmari. Yeah, Asmari. Um, so that one, you're like, it's sonnets, but you're also like playing with these spaces. When did you start thinking about space in your poetry and sort of like how to lie and sort of live together and also float in their own space? What What does that offer for you? Where did that yeah. come from? So I learned what a sejura was from uh, Heather Crystal's book, The Trees, The Trees. Oh, I love Heather Crystal. Um, Shout out, Heather Crystal. I'd never seen a sejura before that. Mm-hmm. Not that I was aware of. And the whole book is like full of these poems that have these little holes in them. And mm-hmm. I was so mm-hmm. taken by that. And it made the words pull their weight so much more when they weren't sort of crowded with other words to mm-hmm. disguise them. You know how yesterday in Hanif's essay, he was talking about in that Whitney Houston performance, they just put a gazillion dancers on stage around her <laughs> yeah. so that you would notice that her dancing is not so good. Mm-hmm. I feel like when a poem is too packed together for me, then I can like let a lazy word live because there are words that I like better around it and for I can sure, notice it. For sure. So when I let some air into the poem, then I'm like, all right, there are actually only five words on this line. Mm-hmm. Um, are they all like the Beyonce of this line? <laughs> <laughs> but it also, I'm like, punctuation is hard for me in my writing because it feels so mandatory. Hmm. I think like a hard stop in a poem isn't really like like the nature of the thing I'm trying to do. So sure. I like a hesitation, which hmm. I think a sejura is more of. And I think visually, too, it lets a lot of air and it lets a lot of silence into the poem. Mm-hmm. And I think it, like, quiets down the whole thing in a mm-hmm. way that I enjoy. Where it just feels too, I don't know, like, stark or aggressive or at a volume that I'm not trying to write at if it's just, like, punctuation or something like that. Yeah. So it's just, mm-hmm. like, little, little like, visual bits of silence totally. scattered throughout, which I, I think I like. I, I like, like that a lot. Yeah. 
because especially because your poems, I think your poems so much deal with the conflicts of language or maybe the space between languages Mm -hmm. too. And so that idea of silence as a way to maybe highlight those two different registers or these two different languages. Yeah. And I think like on a content level, like your poems are so much about like reaching across borders and Mm -hmm. like across those hard lines or, or sort of like questioning those hard lines. So Mm -hmm. I think it makes total sense that like you wouldn't want to have periods (laughs) in the middle of your your sentences. I don't use periods because I don't believe in the nation state. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, but I mean, and also I've taught your poem application for asylum like multiple times in my like freshman composition course where we were talking about migration and safety and Mm -hmm. this idea of refuge and stuff and students are always most fascinated by that empty space in the Mm -hmm. brackets and that's always where people want to spend the most time and then I think that that makes a lot of sense that it's like people are curious about like what's happening in that space Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like I use brackets with like empty space in them Mm -hmm. quite a bit right but it wasn't until, like, preparing for the reading yesterday that it occurred to me that I don't know how to read those out loud. <laughs> hmm. um, Neither do my students. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've gone through your January children drought mm-hmm. uh, or post-January children <laughs> drought, and you're back to writing poems again. What are the poems saying to you now? What are they talking to? What are they heading towards? You say you got some new obsessions. Yes, before. What yeah. are what's the new obsession? Just you know, a fun little thing called shame. Mm. Oh, that'll thank you. You know shame too. Oh, yeah. We go way back. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> What's she up to these days? Wow. <laughs> so I'm thinking a lot these days about Muslim girlhood and shame, mm-hmm. and how like I think shame was taught to me so early as like a moral regulator, rather than like explaining to me why something actually was wrong. I was just told that it was wrong. Right. Um, and that shit works. I still have so much internalized stuff where I'm like, sure. I'll be going through the world being like, you can't do that. And then I have to ask myself, well, why? <laughs> um, so I'm trying to unbraid a lot of that. Um, you know, I feel like I belong to a lot of communities and I feel very lucky in that way. And I have a lot of families and a lot of mothers and a lot of, mm. you know, aunties and uncles and grandparents. But being a person who's like, Poems are fairly easily accessible on the internet by people I don't know, whose photograph is easily accessible on the internet by people I don't know. Yeah. Part of my, like, New Year's self-care resolution is I no longer read messages from that, like, other DM inbox on Instagram because that's where all the filth is. Yeah. But it got to a point towards the end of last year where just, like, people who I don't know talk to me like I belong to them. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm like— supremely introverted and like strangers scare me and Mm -hmm. you know so the fact that on a daily basis I was receiving so much communication from people that I do not know Mm. and people who felt so entitled to communicate with me and share their opinions about my body and about the way I dress and about the way I do my hair and whatever whatever on like a nearly daily basis was like exhausting totally I think it, it reactivated a lot of those thoughts I had about how I am so governed by shame and so much of what I do and don't do isn't dictated by what I actually want to do, Mm. but by what I think I am or am not allowed to do. And it all comes back to this idea that if you do X, Y, Z, people will talk. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, well, who, what people, you know? And then listening. Who are these people? What is this talk? Exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, I open up my inbox and there are those people. There are the people who are talking and there are the people who are like, (sighs) tagging their friends in the comments of my Instagram photos like I can't see it. I just got to a weird place 
towards the end of 2017 where I like felt like public domain and it felt like mm. everything about me was public domain. And that's not a good way to feel. No. Um, because it's also not something that I've written about a whole lot before because of shame. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's so much that I felt like I couldn't put on blast. We're talking about like sort of a vaguer general like nationalist nostalgia felt like a safe thing to do because that like that's not actually like contending with my own body with my own shame with my own girlhood with any of that Mm. that's like vague and abstract and far away from my body so Mm -hmm. it was a safe and okay thing to write about and it wouldn't no one would be talking about me Mm. if they were critiquing it right but you know i already wrote that book so now (laughs) all i'm left with is like actual me and if i'm trying to write poems then i have to contend with that a little bit also um but yeah, not reading the messages in that inbox have have helped greatly. Yeah. Are there other things that you've started doing in order to avoid that feeling of like being um, public domain? I don't read the comments if I mm. can help it. Mm-hmm. I have started muting people on Twitter as soon Amen. as something yes. happened. Because it like, I feel like a block is like satisfying to them where they can see that they've right. gotten to you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone like says something gross about me, I know myself and I know I'll keep going back and looking at it over totally. and over and over again. Yeah. So when you mute it, it's not there anymore. Yeah. Um, but the person never has to know. That's been very That's helpful great. as well. I, I like, totally get obsessive about that too. Then I yeah. keep looking and I keep thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Because sometimes I'll also convince myself that maybe it wasn't that bad or maybe like I made the whole thing up and then mm-hmm. I'll go back to, to, to almost fact check. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> well, it's easy to tunnel into what hurts us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just to want to dig into like, right, like, totally. like how deep can this hurt go? Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's like that curiosity that like can be useful mm-hmm. and also can fucking suck and yeah. that's kind of like shocked it's just like is this still true like, <laughs> right, 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 did that thing really still happen right, like, right, you know? right. but also that that sort of like self-gaslighting of like oh it's not that bad yeah like, why like why am i why am i hurt by that like that's yeah. fine you know mm-hmm. yeah it's weird to write about shame so much in one's work and to like feel like you have like all this like language to talk about it mm-hmm. and then for someone to say something on twitter and then just be like rest <laughs> It's like, I thought that I, aren't I, like, well-versed in, in this? Like, shouldn't I know my way around it? Why am I on the floor again? You know? Well, you know what fucking messes me up about shame? I realized, you know, I did this, wrote all these poems when I was younger, and I thought, I, like, I thought I had done away with shame. Yeah, right? I know, like, we do. I was so done with it, you know? Right, like, right. like, shame is in the past. That's so 2011, <laughs> whatever. I'm off it. Right. But it's not a dress you take off once. No. You know, it's, no. it's a continual undressing of that shame. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and like little shames and the big shames and the secret shames. And I didn't even know I was shamed about that. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, oh, hey, new shame. Hey, new shame. Welcome you know? to the party. Yeah. And it's this, it's a scary project. Um, who do you feel like are your, like, your allies? What what do you find yourself reaching towards mm-hmm. um, when you think about this project of like sort of discussing and doing away with shame? Fati, Oscar. Mm-hmm. I had like a handful of Muslim friends before mm-hmm. Fati, but... Mm-hmm. I felt like we didn't talk about our Muslimness a whole lot. It was just Mm. like a fact, which it is, you know. But because this person is Muslim, I feel like all of my behavior is like a test of my Muslimness. And so Mm. I have to like do this. And I don't feel that way with Fatih at all. And I feel like talking to Fatih and working with Fatih has helped me like dismantle so much of my like, oh, I can't do this because people will say X, Y, and Z. And so I feel like safe being a Muslim in public in Mm. like, so many ways, not even just like in the general, like post 9 11 ways, yeah. But and being the Muslim, you are, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To feel like my Muslimness and relationship with Islam and my practice of it isn't 
trying to like pass a test in anyone's eyes and huh. I'm not trying to be like the most Muslim person in the room and like mm. if I am that's cool too you know <laughs> um, I think it's like helping me sort of disrupt the system of values that I'd picked up somewhere that I didn't have any agency mm. over so yeah shout out to Fatih shout out to Fatih yeah who is your co-editor on Halal if you hear me yes such a great title it's such a great so title the title was a a joke that Nate Marshall made once that I don't think he <laughs> thought we would take and use as a title <laughs> Shout out to Nate Marshall for making jokes. Shout out to jokes, yo. They make the bills happen. (laughs) What has been editing that like? Like, how how are you finding that process? What are you learning? What are you finding? It's (laughs) thrilling in that there are so many of us. That's That's the thing. so beautiful. The idea that Fatih and I had um, in coming up with this anthology was that we wanted to make space for the voices that you usually don't hear when people are talking about Muslimness. Mm. So usually when there's someone out there talking about being a Muslim, it's either like a straight cis man Mm -hmm. or like a woman that's been oppressed in some way. Mm -hmm. And the thing too about like people who are allowed to have narratives of flawed Muslimness and who are safe in those narratives are so often only straight cis men. Mm. So it'll be like the straight cis man who's like, you know, I like go to the bar once a week, but I try really hard to be better mm. in my Islam. It's safe for a man to say that. If you say that as a woman in public, you'll be like tried in the court of public opinion, like mm. within two seconds of making that statement. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll cost you your community in a lot of ways. And so I think because of that, there just is not like a nuance in the the sort of Muslim representation mm. that's available where I think mm-hmm. like, Recently with like Master of None and whatever, there's been this idea of like the humanizing Muslims Mm. project. Mm -hmm. But again, it's always straight cis dudes who are like, I like white women. I'm just (laughs) like you. (laughs) (laughs) I too find Jennifer Aniston attractive. I'm just like you. (sighs) So the anthology is for Muslim writers who are women, who are queer, trans, gender nonconforming any combination permutation Mm -hmm. of the above because the thing is like those voices exist and there is a lot of them but Mm. whoever is spotlighting those voices and a lot of times it hasn't felt safe for those voices to like come forward and take up space and like Mm -hmm. have anything to say about muslimness in public where it feels like every time any muslim says anything about islam in public it is like a representation of all muslims all the time right Um, but then when you have like 50 yeah. people, then you don't have to say everything. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. And so many, I mean, a lot of the work in the anthology is about being Muslim, but a lot of it isn't, you know? Mm. And that's exciting too, because so like exciting. sometimes Muslims think about stuff that isn't just about being Muslim. <laughs> what? You know? <laughs> <New> flash. <laughs> Belly sandwiches and shit. <laughs> Stop the presses. <laughs> Muslim woman eat sandwich unrelated to Islam. Yes. <laughs> Just like non-Islamic sandwich. <laughs> Just turkey and breeze. <laughs> so I think at first, so when we first opened the call for submissions, there was like a slow trickle and then there was just like a influx of submissions. Mm. You know, maybe I'm a pessimist, but I thought that we would get like five submissions and maybe we'd like two of them and we'd have to scrap the project. Mm. But so many people sent in work that we, it got to the point where we just like numerically speaking could not take so much of the work because they were like, wow. So, you know, the risk of, like, being a person who in any way, like, goes against the value system of the community you were raised in is that sometimes it feels like it costs you that community. Mm -hmm. Um, 
maybe you do still live within the value system, but if you want to ask a question about it, mm-hmm. then that's not allowed either. And so you're like exiled from that community. And just seeing all these voices who like have complicated these ideas that we were all raised with and who have like made whole entire lives for themselves, like in these like new sort of hybrid spaces. There's so many of us that this is like a community in its own right now. And it's mm. like this idea that being different is something that isolates you is like not true. I feel like this is the thing that I've always known, but that I didn't know how to say in public because I was worried that I would be like corrected or told this, mm. you know, but I think there are like as many ways of being Muslim as there are Muslims, mm-hmm. but there, it felt like so many of the people that I grew up with were all practicing Islam in the same way that I felt like maybe there was something wrong with me for like having like, you know, like wanting to wear a crop top every now and then. <laughs> um, and like wanting to know if that's okay or not, but to have a conversation about it that wasn't like built around shame. Because I'm also, I'm just like a fundamentally curious person and there's a lot of stuff I want to know. But there's a lot of stuff that I'm too ashamed to ask about. Mm. Mm. There's just like so many Muslims who are Muslim in so many ways, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. And it, I feel so like, like profoundly reassured by that, that I don't even, I was not expecting this. I mean, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm just like wrecked thinking about the like young queer Muslim or the young Muslim woman who like reads this anthology and then is like, oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> me. Like, I'm okay, you know? Yeah. And, like, finding, like, however many different models for living. Yeah, It's such an amazing moment when you figure out that, like, that what you're saying, like, being different is not to be excluded from the room, but it's actually just a key to a different room. Yeah. There's, like, like a whole other room over here. And, like, (laughs) that looks like, okay, this is the one. Yeah. I was trying to figure out. Or you can maybe go back and forth (laughs) even, you know? (laughs) Or just live in the hallway. Yeah. And I think, too, what feels important about this community and this difference of the community is it's not— Again, to go back to like a master of none or something, so mm-hmm. much of that work feels like it's writing back to the white gaze and it's in response mm-hmm. to the white gaze or the Western gaze or the, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so much of this is like intra-community mm-hmm. and not like we are doing this to prove to white people that like we too can sin and be just like you. It's not, it's not that. Mm-hmm. Because even trying to be this safe, secular, non-extremist, non-terrorist Muslim is still, like, not a safe space because you're always trying to prove that identity to some outside gaze. Right. Mm. It feels good to not have to be doing any sort of measuring in that way. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a move that prioritizes, like, the safety of the people rather than the safety of the people who are looking. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, right? Not like, oh, hey, look at me, I'm safe. But, like, okay, I'm safe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagining, like, somebody on the lifeboat on the Titanic, like, I'm safe. Cool. Tight. <laughs> that was a big ass ship that went down. <laughs> I'm good though. I made my sandwich. Sorry, Leo. <laughs> oh, there was enough room for him on that. There boat. was. There was enough room for Leo Donald DiCaprio. Wait, but I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't there some sort of like infographic about like a diagram about how there wasn't enough room? Mm. I saw the diagram about how there was enough room. Oh, really? I saw the diagram with them like playing cards on it, like they could have. Like, <laughs> There probably wasn't that. Well, I guess weight is the thing. Buoyancy. No, yes. The reason was that it was about to flip over, but then they didn't try a second time. Yeah. yeah. They tried one time. Yeah. I don't know. If I was in the Titanic, I'd be like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't even know how my black ass got here. <laughs> I was just supposed to be speaking cold. Like, <laughs> sorry, y'all. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm just trying to hitch on to this free ride. Yeah, maybe there's a Mississippi in heaven. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
we hear more about about the the new work? You said book length poem. Yes. To me, as someone who's heard you read, that doesn't surprise me because when you often when you read, you like read it as one mm-hmm. multiple poems as one long thing. So I'm like, great book length poem from Safia. I'm familiar <laughs> with this. Please, please let me have it. Well, because right I now. think I'm only I'm learning. I think a lot about my brain. Um, <laughs> And I only have the capacity to be obsessed with one thing at a time, Uh which means that I often only have the capacity to write around one thing at a time. Mm. And it might be like different entry points to it or whatever, but I think I only... Writing is most fun for me and most safe for me when everything is sort of under the umbrella of a larger concern Mm. or a larger Mm -hmm. project or obsession. You know, the days where I am like getting up and trying to write if not every day, then a few times a week. Mm-hmm. It's usually because I'm actively obsessed with something and I have that sort of North Star to like look towards as I'm sure. working. And which is why, again, last year was so difficult because I didn't, I'd like reached the North Star and I was like, well, cool, now what? Yeah, um, sure. But now I've sort of, I've been looking at a few of the poems that like came out of that little exercise in form last year and then arranging them around the longer poem. Mm-hmm. Again, I like wasn't doing it on purpose. I wasn't thinking about a project at the time, but it is not only in the same universe, which is usually what happens, but it feels like the same poem. Mm. And I've never really written a long poem before. Usually I get to like the bottom of the Word document. I'm like, ooh, this is long. I gotta stop now. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll like try and take out some space between like the title and the poem. So it's not so... (laughs) (laughs) Has that been challenging to sustain it? I feel like I found a momentum Hmm. that is helpful for me where I think so much of like the fuel of everything that I do is momentum, which Mm -hmm. is why I think I need routine more than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think starting something is the hardest for me. But once I'm in there, you know, I can just, it's easy to keep going once I've started. And so I think with like reapproaching this poem, every time I want to add a little bit more, it feels like I have a momentum built up and I feel like I'm like getting comfortable in the world of this poem now. So Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm getting my bearings a little bit. Cool. So, yeah, so far, so good. Nice. You know Old Dirty Bastard's uh, verse on Ghetto Superstar mm-hmm. by Maya mm-hmm. um, with Proz wherever he is? Shout out, uh, Proz. Shout out, Proz. <laughs> I really love that song. Is that from the Rugrats soundtrack? What? No. What? I'm trying to... Was it on the Rugrats soundtrack? That no. would have been amazing. I think I'm just... Ghetto amazing. Superstar? No, I think wow. I'm just combining that. I think I'm just combining the video for Ghetto Superstar with the video for Take Me There in okay. my head. <laughs> And it's like a similar cast of characters. I think Maya's the like link. Okay. Incredible. <laughs> Ghetto Superstar was his old thing. Sorry, 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 sorry. Tommy For a and moment, Chucky. Rugrats just like gained so much more cultural capital. For, like, a moment. Like, wow, what an iconic show. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's perspective of being Rugrats. Yeah. It's still iconic, but still in a different way. Yeah. She's Carmichael all day. <laughs> what were you? What were you asking about the? So he has a line where he says, I'm hanging out, partying with girls. And then in his version, line break, that never, never die. die. Mm-hmm. But the more I think about that line, I've been thinking of it as I'm hanging out, partying with girls that never die. Mm. And so girls that never die is the tentative title for the whole mm. project. Because I think I am like going back and looking at like the stories that have been told to me and the stories like that I've lived through or whatever in trying to like dismantle shame. I think I'm trying to think of what it would be to like repopulate these stories with girls that never die. Mm. And what would it be? And how do the stakes change if the girls don't die? Mm. Um, Because I think that's like the overall governing threat behind shame, right? Is that Mm. if you like 
breach this or if you do the thing that brings shame on you, there's like a kind of death there. Mm-hmm. But what power does that have if I can't die? Mm. So, I don't know. I'm working it out. <laughs> what power does shame have if I can't die? Oh, God. Come on now. <laughs> I'm about to, I need to lie on the floor. <laughs> there's a lot ripe in there too because like, I think, think about the shame thing. Shame both kills and crystallizes the life too right mm-hmm. like it is a kind of death but also within that like sometimes you die and the shame lives on you yeah. know so we still know we we know historic shames yeah. you know we know what people did back in the 1800s that yeah. was fucked up you yeah. know yeah. and like your shame can live on even without you yeah. and so yeah that, ooh, that's nice that's that's the that's the title or at least it's the epigraph i think i'm most excited just to like have a odb epigraph in there yeah <laughs> You love some ODB. Love uh, ODB. You have that great ODB suite in the Break Beats <laughs> anthology. I read that poem all the time. Oh, yes. That's my boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think we'll get an ODB book one day? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I hope so. That'd be a nice little chat. I, I would love to do a little thing for him mm-hmm. someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll see. Let me chat resolve up. my shit around shame first and then we'll see. <laughs> shame. Old Dirty Bastard. Cool. <laughs> That's a good, yeah. Move. <laughs> I feel like Old Dirty Bastard has to like do away with some shame to be who he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reclaiming dirty Mm-hmm. Yeah. And old and bastard. And bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we move to the to our other things? Anything else? You oh know? wait, wait. I whoa, wanted whoa. to ask in writing. Like, do you do you feel like you have like poet ancestors, like Muslim women poet ancestors? I feel like there's been a real like lack of Muslim women poet ancestors that yeah. I would want to be in the lineage of because mm. it's just like. I wonder if that's, like, a failure of, like, the way that I was schooled or a failure of, like, what I even thought to look for when mm-hmm. I was, like, building up my ancestry. Yeah. But I think so many of my ancestors are also my contemporaries because right. there is, we're in a moment where there are all these amazing Muslim women making work and, like, changing the narrative around, like, meek, oppressed Muslim women just, like, sitting around waiting for white men to save them mm-hmm. or white women. I think Warsan Chire was, I think, my first, like, Muslim poet friend mm. who like engaged with Muslimness in any way mm-hmm. in her work. Mm-hmm. And I think gave me a lot of permission to mm. think mm. about that too. Uh, Ladan Rasman mm. um, is another like combo contemporary and ancestor. Mm-hmm. Um, Fatih again, yeah. honestly, you know, yeah. um, and there's so many Tarfia, Faisullah. Um, but again, everyone is like relatively young in right. this way, you know? right. I'm pretty sure there is like a wealth of literature out there that I haven't tapped into. And I wonder if that's because my reading in Arabic is also not so good. I read like Mm. a third grader. And I wonder if that's like the door that the wealth is behind. Um, But as like a person whose primary literacy is in English, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much that I like can't access when it comes to like Muslim women who've been writing throughout history. You know, there's a a pre-Islamic Arabian poet named Al-Khansa. This is my grandpa who told me about her, actually, but I haven't been able to find any of her work in translation. Um, and all the books are in, like, hard Arabic. <laughs> but in pre-Islamic Arabia, women were the poets for the most part. And mm. there, because there were all these wars at the time, so the men would go to war and the women would write elegies. And then they would basically have, like, a little poetry slam where they'd, like, recite the elegies. And then the the person with the most moving elegy would be the winner of the... Damn, the that's that's amazing. poetry slam? Right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so Al-Khansa, I guess, was the one who like kept winning these like elegy poetry slams um, because Whoa. she's the one whose name survived, you know? Mm. Um, I've like done a bunch of Googling and not a lot comes up. There's also the really fucked up contemporary issue also that uh, the Islamic State has used her name as like 
the name for their like women's brigade or whatever. Mm. Um, so now when you Google that, I'm like, big brother, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the poet. <laughs> Get it together, big brother. I want verses. <laughs> Would you ever like want to participate in like a translation project? I would love to. Well, so my grandpa is a poet, and the project that I've like feel like I've been trying to work towards my whole life, but my Arabic is like increasingly trash as like a literacy medium. Mm. Is so many of his poems are like in his head, and we don't know. You know, he will like write them down here and there. But the thing is, his sisters, his two older sisters, were poets as well. But Mm. they this was like Sudan in like the 30s and 40s, so they weren't Mm. going to school. They weren't Mm. learning how to read and write. So. They would memorize the poems and they would like recite them to each other Mm. and then they died. And so the poems are gone. Wow. Um, And, you know, my grandpa went to school a lot and can write in multiple languages and Mm -hmm. like is very literate. But he's old and his memory is like still like very sharp. But how much longer is it going to be like that? So what I want to do, because I would be really salty if someone else did it, (laughs) is to translate his poems. But whenever I hear a poem of his, I can like... Pick out like a handful of lines because it's also in very elevated Arabic. Mm -hmm. And then I can like gauge that it is generally beautiful and very skillful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But then like he or my mom or someone will have to go back in and basically do like a close read for me and be like, this means this. And this was like the tool that he's using here is this. And, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe it's about like, you know, letting go of my ego around it and like being open to asking for help around it Mm -hmm. and being open to saying to someone like, hey, I don't fully understand the Arabic here, but I want to have a hand in translating this will you help me yeah Yeah. so there's maybe some like letting go of shame there too yeah for sure Mm -hmm. i last year was asked to be part it didn't end up happening this project but to be part of like a translation team where someone Mm -hmm. who was like a comp lit like graduate student i think was like translating some korean women's poems and then i was like the poet consultant to like be like "Mm, that doesn't sound good though (laughs) you know well that's the double work of translation right there's like the actual linguistic translation and then there's the translation of the actual heart feeling how do you actually let an image carry but I also feel like that what's the name of the the poet that you were talking about the woman poet Al-Khansa and you said that her her work is like not I'm sure there's some I found like a handful of but they're like what I found is like sapphic and that it's like these little fragments that okay. like are presumed to be part of a whole. But right, right, right. again, I don't know who was writing these down at the time anyway, mm-hmm. because I'm not so sure that she was reading and writing. Right. So it's like somebody down the way wrote it. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I'm sure that even if she's not like part of your poetic lineage, like explicitly or consciously, I'm sure she's. She's there. Yeah, like she's, she's totally part an ancestor. Of it. Yeah, she's an ancestor. I mean, they're all there. Your aunts are there. Yeah. You know, you know what? And what does it mean that, like, you know, like you get on stage and do these memorized poems? Right. Sometimes, right? You know, like, that's a beautiful act. You know, you're it's honoring incredible. them through, yeah. <laughs> through getting up there and doing what they did and yeah. also writing it down, taking that next step. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It, again, like thinking about that, like, um, recording of ancestors mm-hmm. and with the anthology, with Halal, if you hear me, mm-hmm. like, What would it have been like if something like that project had existed when you were a young person Mm. first starting to write poems? Oh, man. (laughs) I don't know if anyone could tell from my poems that I was Muslim. My life was so compartmentalized for so Mm. long where it was like, this is what I'm allowed to do in public. I think I also just didn't know how to talk about my Muslimness for a long time because I felt like there is so much I don't know about Islam. And I think so much of like being Muslim in America is being expected to be like some kind of mouthpiece or spokesperson. I was worried that if anyone asked me, I'd be like, well, I don't know. (laughs) So I think 
just like being able to see such such like a multiplicity of Muslimnesses early on would have just like helped me out a lot as like a a like young Muslim trying to make out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a gift to like readers and like I don't know young folks that like that lineage if it doesn't exist that it gets to start here. Seriously yeah. Right? Yeah. Track it back to now. And that idea that that your ancestors are your contemporaries, like that strikes me as like, first of all, very queer, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like mm-hmm. like you're like my lineage is like these people around me who I'm like choosing to be yeah. part of mm-hmm. my lineage. It doesn't necessarily have to mean something older. It's somebody who hands you something. Yeah. Woo! No? yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Do you want to read us a poem? Sure. Yay. So I was thinking of reading a poem that I've never read out loud before. What? Because what I'm trying to do to make this AWP fun for myself is to like read new shit and yes. I, mm-hmm. the old shit that I can do in my sleep now. Yeah. So here is the first draft called Short Essay on Property. It is helpful to pretend that ownership is the antonym of loss. That we own anything becomes a fiction if the weapon is cruel. Back home, we all know the story about the woman whose house, wallpapered and warm, scrubbed white and gleaming, caught the eye of the president's wife, and still furnished, was taken away. Or the story about Redacted's body, or Redacted's body, or Redacted's, or mine. As a child, I would sit for hours in tepid bathwater and play at falling in and out of myself, spread the fingers of my hand and think, how do I know this is my hand? And then the hand is no longer mine. The face crooked in the water, no longer mine. The form burnished by fingerprints, by teeth, evacuated and no longer mine. Once, I fainted in the front row of a Twigs concert and lost my place. When I woke, I'd been moved away from the stage and cursed my dilapidated body, longed to discard it and watch the show from above. Once... I fainted on the subway platform and arced into the dark track. Once, in a patch of greenery by the Nile, during a game played with my cousins where we pressed at each other's throats until the body folded and came to, a sensation identical to blinking, swift darkness then waking in the soft black dirt to the reddening sky above, scorpions shimmering the sparse grass, my body a house I could depart and return to, body an unlocked door, Body my small and failed container. How do I know this is my hand? The story continues this way. The woman whose house was taken said nothing. Found another. Hung curtains and beat the carpets and peeled the plastic from two brocade sofas and installed her children in their rooms and sank her body into a chair. And the president's wife came again to call. Touched her fingers to the walls. Ooh! I love that scene in the in the bathtub. It's just like asking the question of like, how do I know that this is my hand? Yeah. That then put like creates that that wild wild distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was a weird kid. I used to like. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, because to be like six years old in the bubble bath, being like, how do I know this is my hand? That's like how I am the weirdo that I am at twenty seven. For sure, now. for sure. I remember staring into the mirror for a long time, being like, what is what what the fuck is this? <laughs> And being like, how do I know that this is the body that I was born in? Yeah. Like, what if I was re- my body was replaced and this mm. is, like, my second body? Mm. I think we would have gotten along as children. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> Strange children equal good poets. <laughs> so, parents out there, if you're a little bit worried about your kid and how they're acting, don't worry. There's a book on the way. <laughs> Push them into the arts. Yeah. Find that after-school program. Yep. 
you know. <laughs> We ask our guests on this season Mm -hmm. of Versus, season Mm -hmm. two, if there's anything recently that you have read or experienced, any piece of, like, art or media or just anything in the world that has Mm -hmm. knocked you out. Mm -hmm. Knocked you down, read Carrie Hilson. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Has forced you to reconsider your parts. Mm -hmm. Not your parts, but, you know. Who's been up in your face? Mm -hmm. The new Natalie Albert book, I don't know. Oh, yeah. how to pronu- in, is that how you pronounce that? Thank God. Indictus? In, I think it's, 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 it's a tuss. It's a us at the end. Yes. And I. We yeah. should look this up. Yeah, we should look Hold it up on. before we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but well, because the reason I'm not sure how to pronounce it is because the word indict. Yes, is at that's the exactly top, what so I'm I was like, saying. Is yeah. there, are you not supposed to say the C? I don't, I don't, I don't know think how it's Indictus. Anyway, Natalie Albert wrote a really good book. And it, has like made me excited to write in a way that I haven't felt in a long time mm. because of the way she uses, I feel like she knows so many words mm. and like deploys them so fluently. I feel like so much of the language I know is compartmentalized into things I can say in a poem and things I can't. Mm. And just like, there are all these words that are like sciencey words and they're mm. just like, they're so like lush and delicious that it just has been so fun to read where I feel like I'll read two pages and then by the end of it, I have like a list of words that I like now love mm. that I hadn't mm. thought about before, like protein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't see protein in poems. You see protein in these poems. Okay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I haven't read it, but I've just like read things about it. Mm-hmm. Like, has that been instructive, like on kind of like a thematic level for the poems that you're writing? It's been instructive on a formal level. Okay. I think um, where the first poem in the book is a long poem. It's uh-huh. like 50 something yeah, yeah, pages. Yeah. And I think it's helping. Oh wow, me. she's starting off with a poem. Yeah, that it's long? wild. Okay, okay cool. Um, yeah, actually, I heard that, but I didn't totally process it. So I was like, uh huh, fifty page poem. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, fucking second. <laughs> but I think it's like Natalie's long poem, uh, which is called Manhole. It works as like a standalone piece mm-hmm. on each page, but like it's everything is like a brick in like a greater mm. like house or whatever. Yeah. Before when I was like, all right, I'm writing a long poem, so I have to just sit and like. You know, in a way that I think maybe writing a novel must be or something where I'm like, here's where I last left off. (laughs) Where is Harry Potter today? (laughs) But it's been helping me to think about, okay, today I am working on this section of the Mm -hmm. poem and I'm treating it as a poem in itself. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps me use the toolbox that I already have, which is more built around writing shorter poems. Mm -hmm. So if I like trick myself into thinking I'm just writing a little poem like I usually do, but actually it's like a chapter in this greater long poem. So shout out to Natalie for teaching me to do that. Hell yeah. Natalie. And J.K. Rowling. (laughs) Yes. Always Always. J.K. Rowling. I recently rewatched all the Harry Potter movies just because... We've gotten to that point in the versus episode where we're just inevitably talking about Harry Potter. This happens every episode, yeah. I just wanted to let y'all know that I am not pleased. I know, I saw, I saw, as soon as I said J.K. Rowling, I saw your face fall. We're like, this shit again. It's okay. I, I, I love Harry Potter, just not as much as any of... All of your friends? Yeah, like any of our guests and my co-hosts. I was like, what's the other one's name? Tom? Tom Beasley. <laughs> Hermica Granger. Hermica. <laughs> like Fumica. Oh my God. We were talking about this earlier a little bit, but I've been going to the movies a lot. Mm-hmm. And there have been a bunch of movies I really loved, but I think it, just the experience of it is something that has been doing a lot for me where I've been just like, 
going to the movies by myself in the afternoons and like seeing whatever is playing at the time and not the thing that I think I will like. Amazing. And I just feel like I'm like learning a lot. I don't know what I'm learning yet, but I feel like I'm just like absorbing a lot of stuff. Movies, I think, are sometimes like the poet's best um, like playground to sort mm. of go to. Because I think we are often trying to do something with image. Like we're yeah. trying to put a picture in somebody's head. I don't know about right. y'all. But I know For whenever sure. I go to a movie, like see a bomb music video or something yeah. like that, that's what makes me want to write. Yeah. Because I want to figure out how do I make that happen in somebody's head at yeah. home. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw Call Me By Your Name a couple weeks ago. Mm. I still haven't seen and it. I feel like a bad gay. It's really beautiful. But the thing that <laughs> struck me, yes, there's a big love story and all that. But... The thing that I, like, I'm still, like, aching about, like, weeks later is that there's this scene where the two men go into, it's, like, set in this Italian villa over the summer, and they go into, like, the little town by the villa for Mm -hmm. the day. Mm -hmm. And they, like, don't know each other super well at this point, but one of them puts, I think, like, his pack of cigarettes or something in the other guy's backpack while it's still on his back. Mm -hmm. It's such, like, a small but so, so, like, deeply intimate that I'm still, like, I'm, like, still shaken by it. And I, like, wanted to cry. (laughs) (laughs) That's cryworthy. And I think it's just making me, like, think about intimacy and about how, like, intimacy is, like, a big thing built up of, like, really small pieces. Because it's not like Mm. there was this, like, big sweeping, like, Hollywood kiss in the town. No, he just put his, like, cigarettes or whatever in this dude's backpack. And Uh. that that was, like, oh, my God, they're in love. Right. Mm. There's a a handful of people that I know I can just, like, reach into their bag and put my stuff in there. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, Mm. that is. So now we're going to play a little game, mm. um, if you don't mind. It's a game we like to play in every episode. It's called This Versus That. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to give you two things, concepts, people, whatever we come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are going to decide who would win in a fight. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For this week's This Versus That, in this corner, we have everybody's favorite, Times New Roman. And in this corner, every poet's favorite, Garamond. Who's going to win in a fight? Battle of the iconic fonts. Ding, 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 ding. Maybe it's a triple triple match between them two and Cosmic Sands. <laughs> okay, so Comic Sans never showed yeah, up. You keep okay. saying Cosmic Sans also, which what is, is it? incredible. What is it? Comic Sans. Comic Comic. It's not Cosmic? No, because I think oh, it's, I think it's out of this like world. it's like a comic. Boodoon ching. Garamond is like the people's champ here and is like, uh-huh. I don't know anything about sports, so I have no analogy to go here with. But like, let's say um, The Rock, he was the people's champion back in okay. the WWE. Before so. he became America's sweetheart. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So The Rock and then the less glamorous underdog, but who has good technical foundation. Mm. Who is that? Is um, there that, a wrestler that fits that description? Let's make it Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin is Times New Roman. Cool. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm like committing to this extended metaphor and I don't know if. If I actually knew these things, it would be true. <laughs> but, you know, based on Denez's consult, it's The Rock versus Stone Cold. In basketball, it could be like LeBron James, who's like very like fancy and stylistic and great and everybody likes him. So versus like a Tim, Yeah, that's Gary Mountain versus like Tim Duncan, who is like very like fundamental and functional and like a great player. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, is not maybe the most exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know sports. I feel like I understand <laughs> I don't know that. My brother watches a lot of basketball, so I feel like I at least know the faces of these two. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Isn't that a donut company? <laughs> Oh, no, I think that's Tim Hortons, and they make a really good iced mm-hmm. cappuccino. Mm-hmm. And, dunk, dunk, and Dunkin' Donuts. And Dunkin so if Dunkin Tim Hortons and Dunkin' Donuts cream. were that's to combine, <laughs> they would be Tim Duncan. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm Tim sorry. Duncan is like the donut of basketball. 
He's like great and functional, but like nobody's ever that excited. Uh, well, I but he's like, like going in the Hall of Fame. So he's really like the glazed donut. The glazed donut. No, like no sprinkles, no nothing. Where like, like while you're eating it, you're happy, but it's not like your first choice when presented with more glamorous pastries. There you go. Okay, okay. I think I'm a starting to understand donut, this man a little more. Yeah. But, not, <laughs> but not a fresh Krispy Kreme glazed donut. Not a fresh Krispy Kreme glazed donut, but like is going in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Mm. Sometimes he has Krispy Kreme games. Oftentimes. He's mm. a great player. Anyway. So I think... <laughs> Back to fonts. I, I yeah, think we're wrapped I, up in like donuts and basketball. <laughs> yeah, how do we get to this realm? We just spiraled out into nonsense. <laughs> well, so I think Garamond, like, in its, like, glamour and beauty and mm-hmm. flash often will, like, let a lot of shit slide that if it, like, had to hold its own outside of the realm of glamour would not be able to hold its own. Mm. And I think that accumulates after Mm. a while. Is this still a basketball game? Maybe if they are like it's supposed to be a fight. <laughs> maybe in the in this first fight. So maybe Garamond would win individual battles early on in the war. Mm-hmm. But like I think Times New Roman is like the turtle and the hare or whatever. Yeah. I think is the one that ultimately comes out on top because when you get to the end of the fight, Times New Roman is more likely to yield the better poem earlier on. Mm. Amen. I personally think that Times New Roman would win this fight, but also I I accept that I have my biases. So is it like, because the poem is the fight, then like Times New Roman wins the fight, but you go home with Garamond? Yeah. Okay. Times New Roman wins the fight, but people will keep forgetting that. Yeah. This is like Maria Sporopova making more money than Serena. uh, Serena. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Just to add another sports metaphor. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the sport is like that. Sport is like poetry. It's like also sports and donuts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which are like sports. Yeah, in right. and of themselves. All right, we got we, we got a poem going. It's got way too many motifs. I know. Um, so. <laughs> Must be in Garamond. Yeah, it yeah. Must be in uh, well, Savi, we just want to thank you so much for coming in, yo. This thank has you been for such a delight. Me. This is fun. Um, yeah, thank, so where can fun. people find you? Um, or if, well, do you, um, maybe we don't want me to find you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, find me, just don't DM me. <laughs> um, my website is safia-mafia.com, S-A-F-I-A hyphen M-A-F-I-A dot com. Twitter, I am at Mafia Safia. And Instagram, I am at Safia Mafia. <laughs> I wanted my Twitter to be at Safia Mafia, but it was already taken, so oh. I had to go for Mafia Safia. Mm. So, you know, that's the great L of my life. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was so good to talk to Safia. God, I love her. Yes. She's so smart. She's so smart and so kind and so generous. And yeah. Just all the things, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The energy that stays like right here. I'm I'm gesturing in a small way, mm-hmm. but also like it's so big at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. And I just want to fight everybody who's in her DMs, right. you know, who's like making Twitter a not good thing for her and Instagram. Stab all of them in the Yeah, names. like stop being creeps, you know? know. <laughs> also, you don't own anyone. You don't, literally don't own anyone. Certainly not Safia. Certainly not Safia. <laughs> Certainly not Safia. Not. not that um, one. Okay, here's a question. Who or what uh-huh. would always be welcome to slide into your DM. Oh, Like, wow. would be welcome. And it doesn't have to be a person, but it could be, like, a metaphysical No, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. Four out of the five men on Queer Eye for the straight guy on Netflix can yeah. death slide into my DMs. You discuss mm-hmm. amongst yourselves who's the one that's not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think any Groupons and coupons are You want al- coupons I want coupons. I want deals, you know? I want somebody to DM me, like, hey, I need you to know that Target has pleather pants on sale right now. I 
I feel, though, like you're about to get a lot of advertisements into your... But I don't want advertisements from, like, advertisers, you know? I want, like, them from, like, oh, real people. I want I want real people. I'm like, hey, Janez, I saw this coupon, and I thought of you, you know? Oh. I, I want... <laughs> yeah, that I want, I want like, personalized thing. coupons, uh-huh. you know? Also, you know, any upwardly mobile mm-hmm. men of color or white men who look a little bit olive, uh, y'all can holler at me. <laughs> Come respectfully. He said upwardly mobile. Upwardly mobile. Cannot. Upper, I, I'm an expensive also, girl. Very, very realistic. Very realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can love a broke dude if love is what leads, but if it's a DM, then let's lead with the check. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> we could have a very happy and expensive girl. marriage. <laughs> How about My you? goodness. Who's in your DMs? Um, or what's allowed? Not who is there. Because <laughs> it might not be who you want. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Any, like, Korean-American celebrity? Mm-hmm. Please. Mm-hmm. Come on through. Mm-hmm. If Margaret Cho just showed up in the in my DMs talking some nonsense, I would be like, "Please have a seat. Let's <laughs> let's hang out. Let's have a non sequitur conversation." Yes. yes. <laughs> um, I guess I'm just like I'm feeling like very very pro Korean heritage in this particular moment for some mm-hmm. reason. I think any actually solid, not made by white people Korean fusion food with another kind of quote 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 ethnic food mm. like is always welcome in my presence, mm. generally. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the, a really good Korean taco, yeah. like a really good Korean taco mm-hmm. made by a Korean or a Mexican person, please. We still got to start this Come Korean and black restaurant that we've like, yeah, soul food. It has to happen, <laughs> you know? Where do you want your fried chicken from? <laughs> do you want it from South of the States or South Korea? Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Southern fried chicken, oh, what, you know what I mean? What if it was called South? <laughs> No, because I want, because like reunification. Okay, we'll talk about this later in our business (laughs) meeting. Uh, Maybe we should do some thank yous and get on out of here. Yes. I would like to thank Coffee and its cousin Espresso for really just always being there and making um, a will where there is no way. Uh, You know, um, every time I am back up against the wall, I have some coffee and all of a sudden there is no wall. (laughs) Uh, I would like to thank Magnesium Powder. What? On the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) Cameron Awkward Rich, known poet uh-huh. introduced this to me and it just uh, helps you relax before bedtime oh really mm-hmm. okay it's cute okay I Amazon primed uh, Nate Marshall some it's like lavender but a metal yeah okay tight. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> alright some actual thank yous we would like to thank the Poetry Foundation particularly our hero Idami Noriega we'd like to thank Post Loudness uh Thank you, Sound Asylum Studios. And of course, as always, our producer, Daniel Kisslinger. Make sure that y'all follow us on all social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at BS The Podcast. You can listen to us on SoundCloud or Apple Music or whatever it is you get a podcast, wherever it is you're listening to right now. Yeah, Make sure you tell a friend. Yeah, just keep on listening. Uh, <laughs> tell a friend, tell an auntie. And until then, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Don't do nothing stupid. <laughs>